0: Continuous Improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 97, Continuous Improvement and Intentional Leadership with Shana Francesca. I love to interview people with unusual career paths. Shana Francesca started her career as an interior designer. Her work in intentionally creating physical environments that support people's needs led her into coaching leaders in intentional leadership to build effective and efficient and healthy work environments. Let's hear Shannon's story. Shana Francesca, welcome to the Ages of Lean. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Bella. It's very nice to have you here today. Shannon. can you tell us about yourself? What is it that you do and what was your path? to doing what you do today?
1: Yeah, so my work centers around intentional leadership and living. Um, The thing that I remind leaders of is that we are alive while we're leading, right? So when I say intentional leading and leadership and living, it's because who we are in private bleeds into who we are in public. They are very much tied together, right? So I think it's important that we recognize holistically that who we are is important as a leader. And even if you don't lead a company or a team, you do lead yourself right? And so every person on the planet is in fact a leader. And so all of that comes full circle back to the the foundation of my work is intentional leadership and living. Um, And how I got here is um, I grew up in a really difficult background. I grew up in an alt-right evangelical Christian cult and in an abusive environment in which I saw leadership being the exact opposite of what I talk about right now, right? I saw leadership being corrupted, I saw um, it leadership being put in godlike positions. Um, and I saw how that power, un, not held accountable, right, without without intentional accountability, um, causing a lot of harm, right? Pervasively harmful. And growing up inside of that, <clears throat> needing to find my way inside of that, needing to define who I was and find safe ways to define who I was and all of these workarounds, right? Um, I started to then recognize those same workarounds happening in corporate culture when I started working um, you know, for other people out, out of college, or even before graduating college. And so eventually my, my work led me to recognize that, actually I went to school for interior design, right? And a huge aspect of my interior design work was recognizing and establishing culture with leaders, with homeowners, with whoever you know I was talking to is what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? And then how do we craft an environment facilitate that facilitates that? So there was always this much deeper element to my work. And you know, I had clients who are business owners, large corporations, down to you know, homeowners who are judges and lawyers and really, you know, heads of medical departments right and so this beautiful interesting range of people who led in different ways and uh and they started referring to me as their interior designer and their life coach or their coach and i was like oh so you do see that there's this huge aspect of my of what i do that is very much a a coaching element Um, and then that that is at the forefront and they're like absolutely yes of course (laughs) and so i gave myself permission to step into that space because people were already recognizing the value in it. And funny enough, at that point, I'd already been doing group coaching for two and a half years. I'd already worked with over a hundred people in my group coaching um, practice. So I'd I'd already been embracing this aspect of my work, but I hadn't been living it out loud, right? I hadn't been making it the forefront because I felt like maybe like many people do, a little bit of imposter syndrome, like I didn't have the right to be coaching people. or calling myself strictly a coach. But when I stepped into that, my work became infinitely more powerful and I was able to reach and connect with a whole lot more people, um, you know, than I can just as an interior designer. I'm still doing much of the same work because culture is crafted by physical environment as well, right? So there's still that aspect that I can I can relate to leaders about, but that isn't the forefront of my work anymore. It's, it's intentional leadership and living.
0: Wow. So that, that was a lot there. <laughs> Yeah, you just you just went <laughs> through, and I, I'm intrigued by a couple of things that well, a lot, a lot of what you said. Um, so when when you say that, um, you you started out doing interior design, but and you were recognizing, I, I think what you said was you were recognizing that the space that people were in, the physical space they were in, then was influencing their uh, their lives, right? But it was. Yeah. That, the, that culture, was, that the culture, the, yeah, cu- and the culture, their lives, yeah, the culture, and that's so interesting that to those of us who are doing lean, because a lot of what we do, particularly when we're working on lean in, well, it's an office or in in a factory uh, or almost is in any envir- environment, is coming in and helping people to make their workplace work for them. but that's not in an aesthetic way, right? Uh It's Sometimes it might result in something that is aesthetically pleasing, but it's more about, I need this tool. Can I find this tool when I need it? I don't want to run out of something and have to stop my work while I go walk to find the thing. It's, It's about designing space and allowing employees to design their space so that they can work effectively and, and efficiently, but I don't know that we've ever thought about an aesthetic side yeah. to that's that. Why, um, that's why when I brought
1: that conversation to the forefront, it became so powerful for so many people is because through my work, they did recognize how powerful the physical environment was, right? Because they noticed the shift in their own way of, of showing up and in their people's way of showing up or in their home, their ability to come home and not feel stress because they, their environment is not set up to facilitate their needs, both aesthetically and functionally, right? And those things work hand in hand. I don't think you put one in front of the other. I think they happen together at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. All these leaders like, oh yeah, I get it. I see it, I understand it, I feel it, right? And we are always left with a feeling. People don't, like, like my Angelou, like Angelou said, we don't remember what people say, but we do remember how they make us feel. And that is the same for our physical environment. We don't remember you know, all the things that a physical environment does for us, but we do remember if it gives us negative feelings, if it's not, if it's not supporting us, um, if, it's, if it's constantly getting in our way, if it's creating physical barriers for us, we do feel that.
0: Yeah, and then to maintain that, I think this is where, uh, certainly in lean, that we find that coaching and support is required, right? Because it it requires some level of, I'll use the word executive function to keep once you have decided how how do I want my environment to be. Yeah, uh, to keep it that way and to keep improving it yeah. and, for, and for many people certainly this is what we see in the lean world is you know you you go in you do this marvelous exercise of getting rid of the things that you don't need making sure the things you do need are always available you know setting things up so you can always find the tool you want or the, the book you want or that your computer's working the way you want mm-hmm. um and then if you walk away, you come back several weeks later and things have kind of reverted because there's a, there's a habit that needs to form as well. And in lean, that's often, it, it can go, kind of go in two directions. For people who don't understand the culture, it goes in the direction of what they call auditing, which is scary, right? So somebody's going to come in and going get a good check, you know, is the desktop clean Are the tools where they're supposed to yeah, be? That yeah. feels really bad. Yeah. Or there's a coaching side to it, which is about all right, if 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 your goal is to have a clean desktop and it's not clean, well what what can we learn and what experiments can we run? How can you approach this differently or we approach this differently in order to attain that goal, which is a very different way of approaching it.
1: Which I think is because it creates creates customization. And I think sometimes there's a separation between people's, what they think intellectually is their goal and what is the actual way that they work, right? And clean doesn't mean just one thing, right? Clean can mean different things to different people. And recognizing how we function and how we work, I think is the important part that sometimes is missing, right? We shouldn't be measuring how we work against how other people work or how we think we should be working. We really need to look at how we actually work and create an environment that truly functions for us.
0: That's great. And that is such a lean concept that you just you yeah. uh, you just you just stated. So Shana, as you were doing this work and you were making this transition from being the interior designer to being the coach, what were some of the things that, uh, you started to, to coach people on. What were what some of the, the kinds of conversations that you were having?
1: The, the thing is the conversations always started out with recognizing the importance of curiosity, of courage, of vulnerability, of mindfulness, of respecting and making space for who we truly and authentically are, and then recognizing that when we do so, we can then extend that to others. And allow them to show up as they are, you know, and to be able to create support and meet their needs, not what we think they should be doing or what we expect of them, but recognizing they're an autonomous human being and not put on this planet for our purposes, but for their own. And seeing in what ways we're meant to travel in this life together, but not meant to control others, right? We're meant to be connected. We're not meant to control right? And to have these conversations and see how they apply to. And, and you know, when, when I started my group coaching, it was people from the age of 25 to 55, um, many, actually the youngest and the oldest people being entrepreneurs or business owners, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and people in between being in the corporate environment, some therapists, some, you know, IT people, like a whole different mix of race, gender, ethnicity, all of these different mixes. And it's such a beautiful way. Um, The thing that I love about coaching, the thing I love about my work is that it teaches me as much as I'm teaching, right? Like any great teacher is learning while they're teaching. (laughs) Um, And the thing about group coaching specifically is that when we're having these discussions and I initiate them, it's being heard by 20 different people by, you know, 14 to 20 different people at the same time, because I cap it at 20 and each person is interpreting what I'm saying in a completely different way. And something we commit to as part of my group coaching is that everyone shares something in every session, right? Because I want to make sure that everybody understands the power and the, and the, um, the power of their own voice. Right, and that it, that and practicing using their own voice, and they could share whatever they want to share. It doesn't have to be something profound. It could be anything, whatever comes up for them in practicing and using their voice. And everyone's capped at two minutes, right? Or uh, for each question that we're going around, so that there's equity in the conversation as well. So we're practicing hearing, listening, and sharing. Right, and the thing about the sharing part is that as each person shares, they're sharing based on how they interpreted so every person is learning from their sharing as their and from their own listening right so it's like this beautiful amazing environment that i just i'm obsessed with
0: <laughs> and that's such an important thing for us to learn and to keep relearning that just because I perceive something in a certain way or hear it in a certain way, that doesn't mean it lands on somebody else in the same way, yeah. and they may de- be deriving some meaning that I missed. Yeah, um, and that that's an incredible amount of richness, but it's also just understand it's just that understanding that theory of mind, right? That yeah, uh, which is especially important for managers or leaders of any yeah. kind. That when I say or do something. I might have this intention for how it is to be heard and how people are to, going to act on it, but what yeah, you the know, people are living in your group coaching is I can say something, and somebody else will get something out of it that yeah. I never intended, and it could be positive or negative, or, I, I or felt, neutral, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, and I, and I don't know that something is bad or good. I think when when we start to get into a group coaching environment, we start to understand that. Um, the communication is a dance right it's it's a dance and it's not a linear thing and and when we start to practice that and understand that and sit with that however someone hears isn't necessarily bad or good right it just is
0: it is and
1: if we haven't achieved the communication that we intended then we just keep communicating until we've communicated effectively to that person in the way that they need to hear it to understand it, right? To understand it in the way that we need them to. Or perhaps we recognize that the way we needed them to understand it isn't all as valid as we thought it was, right? And (laughs) then we can, because we're learning from the way that they're interpreting it, and we can alter our intention for the moment based on new information, right? new information being how someone else interpreted it. And so when we recognize it as a dance, rather than a linear function, it becomes something that becomes much more easily approachable rather than something we're getting frustrated because exactly what we want them to understand isn't being captured, right?
0: And in order to do that then Shana, don't you then have to then be creating a culture that allows our, promotes the idea of communication as a dance as opposed to communication as you said being linear okay. or perhaps in an organization you know from the yeah. top to the bottom right um, yeah it's so an empowered
1: that- it's empowered as a chorus of voices rather than one voice at the center or one voice at the top being insisting on being heard right it becomes a chorus of voices having different conversations or having conversations together right and 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 like more like a round table right? Um, with no one in the middle, no one at the top, right? It just being this chorus of voices where we're, we're able to hear people. But then there is need for vision and leadership, right? In directing mm-hmm. that conversation and moderating that conversation and making sure that we're staying on topic.
0: So the people that you're working with, you said that that you when you started, you were working from with people from 25 to 50. Yeah. I imagine that that's broadened probably a little bit since then or yeah. has it
1: narrowed? No, it's, it's broadened. I think it's, it's still, I still typically don't work. So I, I work with young people, but that's exclusively young people, right? I do not invite someone under the age of 25 into group coaching because your frontal cortex is not developed until you're at least 26. And I think it's important that we have conversations that are applicable for young people geared towards younger people. So I, I was on a panel for the Boys and Girls Club of Mercer County the other day, and it was, kids who are 12 to young girls who are 12 to 18, and then women who are 18 and up, but I geared the conversation towards the 12 to 18 crowd, right? And it, what was beneficial outside of that was beneficial for people, you know, who are older, um, but I don't invite like children into group coaching. <laughs> is the yeah. point. So it's it's like 25 and up and and typically, you know, I, sometimes I get people in their seventies or eighties, just is fun um, because their life experience, they're like, you know, Decades and decades into this world, and they've seen so many, you know, interesting things, and that's fantastic. Um, But typically, it's still kind of between 25 to 65.
0: Okay. And do people stay with you for a long time? Do people usually? It's like a year or so. It just depends Uh on what what
1: they're looking to accomplish, right? And so sometimes it it starts in group coaching, and then it becomes one on one coaching, and then people come back, right, for for workshops or come back for Um, you know, maybe just a month of group coaching, um, because now I have it formulated so that um, people can participate in group coaching at one month intervals to make it a little bit more accessible, because I think three, three month intervals is how I did it in the past. And that was great. But like, sometimes people just need to be able to kind of Commit for just one month because life is so
0: chaotic. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Life is
1: so chaotic. So typically, people stay on for at least three to six months in group coaching. Um, But sometimes, just for like a, you know, they'll come in for a month at a time for kind of like a touch up. You know what I mean? For that kind yeah. of that kind of regrouping, refocusing. um, You know, later on, you know, a year, uh, two years later, they're they're still coming to kind of refresh and and resharpen.
0: And what kind of goals are, do people have when they first come in? I think it depends for each people.
1: Part of what I do is I meet with each person before they, so when somebody signs up for group coaching, we just jump onto a 20 minute call um, before group coaching initiates so that I can understand who they are, their intention for the group coaching, so that I'm keeping that in mind at each session, right? Who's in the room? What are their intentions? I'm as intentional as I'm asking them to be, right? I think that's really key that I set up that practice so that they're seeing how intentional I am. Um, and, and so for some people, it's they're an entrepreneur and they are wanting to understand how to be a leader in general because they've started a company, but now they're in charge of people. And just because you start a company doesn't mean you know how to be in charge of, uh, you know, be a leader, right? And then for some people it's, you know, maybe they've been promoted at work and now they are managing people and that's something that they're, you know, not familiar with, you know, and they're looking for some guidance or, or so on and so forth. Or maybe they're a therapist or they're a, um, you know, there's sometimes been medical professionals, doctors, so on and so forth. And they're, they're in a moment of change um, or they're looking to create that moment of change in their life, in, in their professional career. And so it just, dep- it just depends on the person. It's, it's the mix that I love Right. It's what makes it so interesting and it's what makes it so real life and so applicable, right? Is that it is a wide range of people with a wide range of goals, seemingly, but at the at the foundation of it, it's you know, they're looking to to be a much more intentional person.
0: And that intentionality you said at the beginning of our conversation is not just a sort of about being at work or your leadership at work, it's about your whole life. So can you talk more about that, please?
1: Yeah, for me, and there's this quote and I forget who I forget who said it, but becoming a leader is wholly about becoming yourself. right And when we sit with that and we really recognize the truth in that is that we cannot lead like someone else leads because we do not see the world the way that someone else sees the world. The beautiful thing about being a leader is, being curious, being open, and recognizing your own view of the world and that it's limited, right? And that, and and I love, so the National Geographic, I'm paraphrasing this, I I look at leadership as leading a community, right? Is the recognition that you are part of community and you're leading that community of people or community in general, right? But I look at then community as like an ecosystem, right? And National Geographic defines an ecosystem as a, as a geographic area inhabited by a variety of living organisms that are supported, um, that support each other and work and live together, but are supported by the land and the weather, right? And I think that is so beautiful when we think about that. Oh, and it creates a bubble of life is part of the definition. A right? bubble I, of life. I, it's part of a bubble of life. So if we look at a company as a, or a team or community as a bubble of life, Right? And we look at leadership, we could say, leadership is the land and the weather. And when we relate that, we can say, the land is that foundation, is that driving vision, is that thing that everybody is being drawn to, right? Because all living beings are drawn together by gravitational pulls. And the weather becomes culture, right? and so if we look at that and say as a leader my job is to support and uphold and create the right environment for a bubble of life it becomes a very different thing
0: right and that's and that's so it's such a it's such a lovely metaphor because yeah. it also talks about the fact that you're going to have some very very different types of organisms in there right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're going to have some you're going to have some organisms that are going to be look as if they are parasitic or look as if they are um not useful at all but if you were to take them out then that bubble will not work as well or even fail
1: yeah and I and I got to that because so I do this thing called curiosity walks and I encourage leaders to do the same and if you're interested in what that means join my workshops (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I encourage leaders to do curiosity walks and for myself. I do them in my personal life um, because who we are personally is who we are as a leader, right? And so I take a walk and I will pick out the thing that I think I know what it does within an ecosystem, right? I think I know every, like what I need to know about it. So a couple of weeks ago, I was walking and I saw all this poison ivy growing up along the edge of the forest. And I thought, you know what? Today, today's investigation is gonna be poison ivy. What is its purpose within the ecosystem? Now, all of us know that it is something that most of us are allergic to, gives us a terrible rash. It's uncomfortable, it's painful. We don't want to touch those shiny leaves. But did you know that poison ivy grows berries? And did you know that when food sources are scarce, it's an important food source for birds in the fall? But during the summer and when it grows up, it's an important food source for animals and small uh, small amphibians like frogs, where they live there, right? And deer eat it, right? And so it has this beautiful purpose and it typically only grows at the edge of forests, right? So it may, be appear, it may appear to be something that's simply irritating, right? And, in, and, and it feels like it's invasive, but it's actually native and it's an important part of the ecosystem. What's important though is that we understand its strengths and its purposes, that we understand that it also protects the forest from invasive seeds, right? So when we get rid of the poison ivy at the edge of the forest, we're, we're taking away the forest protection and then invasive plants come in, right? And plant themselves inside of the forest and choke out the trees. So when we start to understand that as a leader, being, being part of creating a community, a team as a bubble of life is recognizing people's strengths instead of honing in on their weaknesses, right? Because if poison ivy's weakness is for us, I don't know that anybody other than human beings is allergic to poison ivy, but when we center ourselves in that conversation, we destroy poison ivy and then we destroy its part in the ecosystem. If instead we decenter ourselves and we recognize poison ivy has an important part of a bubble of life, we can then understand it has a purpose and we we can respect and honor and make space for it.
0: Wow. Wow, and um, there's a lot to think about there, Shana. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean if you and if you think about that, you know, taking that metaphor then into uh any organization or group or community, yeah, yeah, maybe those, yeah. you know, and it's so it's I love what you said. That it's because we said to ourselves and our itchy selves in the that we see the poison ivy as being bad, and that might be when we're looking at an organization or a community or a group of people, and here's this person who is a real irritant to me. Well, that person is an irritant to me, right? So right. maybe it's 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 more of a time for an exploration of myself yeah. than it is of I've got to fix that that other right. person.
1: Correct, which is why I come back to, you know, becoming a leader is all about becoming yourself, right? And understanding your part within an ecosystem, right? And so that we can understand that we need to decenter ourselves to truly be profoundly important and impactful leaders.
0: So I, I understand it. You grew up with a version of leadership that was toxic, that mm-hmm. was that was not real leadership, but but yeah. was something else um at what point in your was it was in college at what point did you start to really say there has to be another way uh the questioning
1: started when I was 12 but then the the community I was a part of doubled down like really doubled mm. down on on the grooming on the you know on the harmful practices that made me feel like the reason why I was asking all these questions is because it was a normal thing and I would definitely come back to God because God was the only answer, you know, their version of God. And when I say God, I mean their version of God, right? So I want to be specific that not all versions of God are harmful. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, it took me a really long time in college I began to question more because I went to a public college my my parent, my dad specifically wanted me to go to a private Christian college but what I went for interior design wasn't a, wasn't luckily wasn't a major that was available at any Christian college that was anywhere geographically close. Um, and so. That's where I started getting exposed to other things and other people and other, and started testing and asking questions and starting to get to know the world outside of the bubble that I lived in. Um, but ultimately I didn't, I didn't, I walked away from the cult that I grew up in at like 26 and started going, trying to go to other churches. But I started noting this, noticing the same pattern. In those other churches as they were trying to become mega churches themselves there was again this cult like pattern developing of charismatic leaders not being held accountable so on and so forth um and so ultimately i i walked away from um going to church and have my own spiritual and and religious beliefs Mm -hmm. at this point um but yeah it was it wasn't until i would say that the split started really happening around 26 when i really allowed myself to um, question. Uh, funnily enough, around when my brain was fully formed.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay, frontal
1: cortex. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay for brains. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You said something interesting about the charismatic leader, and I think that that is yeah. something I want to just you know steer it away from the from the megachurch thing because I think we see that call to or that idea of charismatic leadership. Yeah in other places right Uh, and i think that's a message that many of us are given as we're trying to understand what leadership should look like we see charismatic leaders we try to emulate them and your message is be yourself don't don't be somebody else but that charismatic leader i bet when they go home they're a different person they, 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 maybe it's they, something that they turn on do you think Maybe I
1: don't know. I don't actually I, okay so from what I can tell <laughs> it, there is there is things that happen in private that don't happen in public because otherwise they wouldn't be seen as, or respected as a charismatic leader but as people gain more power. And the problem is not being a charismatic leader because I think many leaders are charismatic people. Right? I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is the lack of practiced accountability. Right? And part of my intentional mm. leadership formula is be curious, be respectful times practicing accountability, right? And practicing accountability, we dive into what does that mean? Because you absolutely are not accountable when you are surrounding yourself with people who have the exact same lived or very similar lived experiences you and ex- and experience and enjoy the same level of privilege as you right that's not accountability
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll just but, let that but one you sit just there described, we'll just let them sit there
0: <laughs> but you just describe the typical board of an of Correct. a of a major organization, right? Which Correct. could have a charismatic leader, yeah. maybe a founder, maybe someone yeah. who has, you know, followed on to a founder. And then uh, over time, the board or you know, the senior leadership becomes those people with similar backgrounds, similar mm-hmm. levels of privileges. Mm-hmm. You said mm-hmm. people, people who only have one right. perspective and they're losing other perspectives. Correct,
1: and that's the thing is they're avoiding accountability, right? That board is not actually necessarily holding them accountable for anything other than profitability. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes that profitability comes at the expense of paying your workers equitably and well, right? So like that's a whole nother conversation, right? You you wouldn't even have a business without the people who run that business, right? Is why I come back to understanding leadership as leading a bubble of life because if you recognize those people as human beings and having lives and you wouldn't put yourself in those shoes and live their lives then there's something wrong right you're not paying them well their quality of life is one that you would not want to live your life right <laughs> and you're not you're not right pe- human beings are the only beings on this planet that have to pay to live here and we systematically design deny people the money necessary for them to be able to afford clean and safe housing, nutritious food, right? Clean air,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Places, right, And so we need to understand that as leaders, that it's not about their education level, so on and so forth. If you don't think that somebody can contribute well, they shouldn't be working for you, period, right? That's a you problem, not a them problem, right? The thing is that no matter who they are, they should be able to afford to live within a certain geographic distance of their place of employment if they're required to come there physically, right? Like there's all these levels to understanding your leadership as a bubble of life and understanding that your people are alive and they should deserve to. They didn't ask to be brought onto this planet, but they're here, right? And so we need to be able to take care of each other and take care of ourselves, right? And our employment is the way that we gain the resources necessary to be able to pay for our life, right? And so denying people that is a big problem.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's a, it's a question that we don't talk about lot, uh, much in the yeah. lean community because yeah. we talk about improving business, especially when we're talking about improving business. Yeah. We talk about changing roles so that roles are more um, aligned to the work that needs to be done, so on and so forth. Yeah. But we very rarely have a conversation about now that you have redesigned this work, what are you going to pay people right. to do the work? And, and it's about is that- it's yeah, about uh, yeah. ethical. Yeah. Yes, it's about the ethics. And, and it's not just about pay. It's also about schedule, you know, right. because it's very easy using lean techniques. And I've written about this to make a to make schedules that make sure that the lights are always on. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but if you have people who are working double shifts, so they have, you know, they don't have enough time between shifts to to get some sleep or see their families or to do you know, to, to, to have a life, if you're yeah. calling people in on short notice all the time, then that is not ethical. That is not yeah. a way to treat people. You're treating people as cogs in a machine as a, yeah. uh, rather than as actual human beings.
1: Yeah. So- and there's, there's definitely business leaders like myself who are, who own our own businesses, who are creating businesses in which that isn't a regular practice in which you are, you actually, have ex- you have enough people so that you're not tapping your existing people to come in and fill in right you have people once you get to an organization of a certain size right you'll yeah. be you're, you're not tapping the people who are already working 40 hours a week to be able to push even further right you have redundant what what would feel like redundancy but isn't right you have someone who is able to perform those functions so that you're not asking people to give more of themselves and and you know, it also comes into play where we talk about the fact that the 40-hour work week was structured with the understanding that people have paid labor and, and support at home or unpaid support at home, right? And with both parents in most situations or both people in a household needing to work to support it if there's two, that's not a reasonable understanding of the world. You can't ask people to work more than 40 hours a week because they have so much else that they need to do, right? So as leaders, we need to understand that and extend compassion and so on and so forth. So it becomes a multi-layered conversation, right? (laughs) That happens over time, which is why, you know, I love to have these conversations with leaders one-on-one, but then also for leaders to participate in group coaching within their, like for us to set up group coaching for their leadership team, or people within their organization so that they're hearing from other people and hearing other people's perspectives in a safe and moderated environment.
0: And then it goes back to I think Shana what you said before about it's 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 about becoming understanding who you are, becoming becoming yourself as a yes. leader, right? Yeah. Because because if you understand what you need to lead a good life right, then that helps you in some way understand what other people need as well. But you have to see people as people first. Correct. You have to recognize who's in the room, right? Who's not in the room. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: And you see, you see, you see corporations, there are corporations who, who model this, who demonstrate this beautifully. You see um, you see co- um, com- companies like Pixar, right? And you see, um, one of my favorite books is Rebel Talent by Francesca Gino, and she specifically talks about leaders who are leading from an ethical place, from a place of questioning their own role as a leader, from creating flexibility, so on and so forth. And she talks about, about the way that Massimo Bottura, the three Michelin star chef, runs his restaurant and the way that there's no strict hierarchy there's no um, strict established roles right people come in and say I've got an idea for a dessert today and they might be the the major right and 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 they're they're ushered into the kitchen and they have the space to create that right it's a matter of understanding You've got to create these this this way as a culture and these cultures like Pixar has never put out a movie that bombed right they've had movies that bombed internally but they never shared them externally and they are extremely profitable, right? So creating these environments does not limit success, it explodes success, right? It explodes success. Diversity, inclusion, equity, these are all things that explode companies' success. And I think it's deeply important that, that leaders lean into that and understand that and recognize, yes, it requires a lot of change, but I'm here to help.
0: <laughs> That's great. Shana, how can people find you? Yeah, the best way is
1: through my website, uh, Um, I'm sure it'll be tagged in the show notes, but don't forget, it's not yes. .com, it's not .world. <laughs> 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 because we're here to change the world. Um, and my email and my, my contact number are there. You can also check out some of my coaching and workshop offerings Um, but also I'm very present on LinkedIn and also on TikTok. I do share a lot of of stuff there. I'm Shana Francesca and all those places.
0: Shana Francesca on TikTok. Okay, well, I'll have to check you out on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Shana, what is your one piece of advice for a young person starting out?
1: Surround yourself with community and let that community be a diverse group of people. There's no way to be successful without it. Hyper individualization will tell us that we need to do it all ourselves, and you will fail if you do it that way. Mm. And it's not the kind of failure where you, you know, and you'll learn, I mean, you'll learn from it, but it could be really devastating to your health, to your mental health, to your physical health, to your spiritual health to think and believe that you have to do it all. We're not meant to. And that's the hard way. The easier way is to round or surround yourself with people who can help support you, who can hold out a hand, help to dust you off when you fall down. You know, you need that diverse group of people to help you to see what you don't know, to see what you don't understand and to be able to support you in that learning.
0: What great advice. Wow. Shannon Francesca, thank you so much for traveling with me to the Edges of Lean. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is Bella Engelbach and I'd like to thank Shannon Francesca for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? What intentionality might it create for you? We would love to hear from you. Find Shana at consonate.world. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.